Good morning, everybody. It's really nice to see you all. And um, as we continue <clears throat> on our series for the summer, entitled All In. Thanks, worship team. Appreciate you guys. <clears throat> and I've said this regularly, you know, I, repetition helps for me to get things in my noggin. Sometimes it's a little resistant to information. But really, all in, we're, we're trying to seek an understanding of what it would mean to be all in with God, primarily, first and foremost, in increasing degrees, that I am, I am giving my life over to God for his purposes, to be all in with one another here in this particular church. See, for New Song, I'm all in with these people sitting around me. I'm, I'm here for you. You, you, you. I'm gonna put you first in increasing degrees, you know, knowing that we have resistance to that, to learn to, to, to do that better, that we would become a, a, a picture. Actually, in two weeks' time, the final message of the series is going to be about the church being a sign and a, uh, an instrument of, doing the work of, and a foretaste, like a taste of the kingdom to come. This perfect kingdom that's coming. The church right now is meant to be just a sign of that, that that's real, that's coming. And we, we're like demonstrating and displaying it to a watching world. That's what all, all in together can create that kind of unique community where people are living together in a different kind of a way that is intriguing to people. And then all in with God's creation, the world that he has made, that he loves. How can we do any less than also love what he has made, including and especially the people around us with whom we come in contact with every day? So we're uh, talking about all in, and I just want to say something right up front this morning. Um, a lot of what we have to say this morning is particularly for people who have said, I'm all in with God. As much as I am able today, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be all in with you guys, one another, and with God's creation. So for those of you who are not really, you're still thinking about that, you're trying to decide, what do I do with this Jesus thing? What's this all about? That's great. And we're so glad you're here. And we hope that there'll be interest, things interesting to you and instructive and uh, this morning, but really, I, I'm pressing in to talk really to those who have said, "Yeah, I make a, I made a commitment to Jesus, um, and I want to follow Him." Excuse me. Because uh, you know, church can be a messy place, uh, as you know. Anyone who spent any length of time in a church knows that they can be very messy and painful at times. And and those looking in at the church from the outside. Often our reputation is not very good. There's a real shocking situation right now, again, uh, erupting in the Roman Catholic Church around the concept of child abuse. You know, it's, and uh, in, in the evangelical church, you know, scandals continue to, to uh, arise. But I'm not even just talking about those kinds of things, but just the, the general sense of the church. Is it of any value in our society? Does it do anything? Does it serve any real purpose? Does it actually change people's lives? You know, people say, if your church disappeared tomorrow, would anyone notice would they care? Would they lose something special and precious to them in their community? For some churches, churches I've been at, churches I've been part of leadership and I would have to answer, I don't think really anyone would notice. <laughs> Is there something missing? There's a parking lot. I don't see a building that used to be. I think there used to be a building here. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I said last week about generational stuff. A lot of young people don't really trust that the church is capable of really making a difference, having a positive effect on society. They kind of trust small business to do that. Small businesses that have a sense of ethics and, and want to change the world, and they're run by younger people, 
So they do things ethically with their business that, they, that really has an impact. And young people kind of trust more in that than the church of their fathers or mothers, you know, their, for, their ancestors, to, to really make a big difference. And it's really unfortunate. Um, you know, people get hurt in churches and they walk away. And you can, they'll tell you their stories. They're disillusioned. They don't believe in organized religion anymore. They're spiritual but not religious. And they go golfing or, you know, walk in the woods. That's my church. Um, you know, there are all sorts of institutions that cause problems for people that have a bad reputation or, or people get hurt within them. But here's the problem with the church. People still believe that the church should be different. It should be different. It shouldn't be like all the other institutions, the things that we say, that God resides here, that, that we are, you know, we talk all this thing about truth. So people think the church should be quantifiably different. People come here on a Sunday morning expecting to find something that is different, that is welcoming, that is life-changing, that is exciting and energetic, and, and wow, this stuff they say is true. And sometimes they walk away disillusioned. It's, it's rather sad. So is the church worth, worth it anymore? You know, I, I've had my share of church-inflicted pain many times. I, I've, had, I've felt cynical sometimes, and I felt like, wow, this church thing, and I've sat in classes actually talking about that in school, the church, is it any use? Is this really still the mechanism by which God will work in the world? Um, well, here's, I, I wanna share, I, I still believe in the local church with all my heart, 100%. This kind of thing, what we're doing here, I believe in, that this is still relevant, this is still something that can impact the world. Um, I believe in two kind of different forms of church. The first is called the church invisible. That's just everyone who's known by God, who knows God, no matter where they go, what they do, but God knows who they are. And some of them don't look very like church. <laughs> they don't look very like God's people, but they are his people. It's kind of invisible. It's not that noticeable. It's just people you walk by all day, you don't know who they are, but God knows who they are, that they have a heart towards God. They're following him as best they can with who they are. But I also believe in the visible church, uh, it's a place in the community where followers of Jesus gather together regularly to worship and they hear the word preached, to share communion around the table with bread and wine or juice, as we do. Grape juice, Welch's is the preferred one, that's what Jesus used. <laughs> and, uh, and then also to give to a mission and to organize for that mission. That's the good thing about an organization that we can do a better job because we have a bunch of people with their resources and we can actually say, we wanna go do that and it's much easier with a bunch of people than it is with one person. And we're never meant to be the one person thing anyway. The body of Christ is together for mission. To be a city on the hill in the community, a prominent place, a recognizable physical location that points people towards God on a regular basis by their lives and their words an active place of change within a community, just like a catalyst in the middle, and there's something happening centered upon this physical place. A building and a people who congregate that is dedicated to God's work in the world. For good or bad, a location that has this big giant flashing neon sign above it that says, the kingdom of God is here and you are invited. Come and see this. That should be New Song's logo, right? Come and see. See, there's actually something happening here. You'll be able to see, you'll be able to feel, you'll be able to witness. So what about you? What's your honest opinion of the church as an institution? Why are you here today? Do you believe this place and these people have the potential to change, bring real change in our communities? You know, let me tell you why I still believe in the local church, why I believe and have for the past 20 years strongly been a defender of and a believer in local church. 
You know, whenever I'm asked about my return to faith, which occurred about 20 years ago, 1999, 98, 98, 99, when I met Rana, I came out of just the situation I was in and, and found a little church. Um, and I, I always spent a lot of time talking about this particular church. It was a very small church of about 25 people um, in Olympia, Washington. It doesn't exist anymore. And uh, we have a picture of my little church. Um, the building is currently up for sale. It's no longer, it's, it, hopefully a church is going to buy it, but it was, it's gone through several transitions of different actual groups that, that stayed there. And, uh, but that place and the people who came there uh, every Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and Wednesday evening uh, taught me early and often about the value of church, local church. And it wasn't because they had an abundance of Bible knowledge, even though they did have a lot of Bible knowledge. Uh, I'm fairly certain that because of these people in this church that I am here at New Song today doing what I'm doing here today in a local church. And it wasn't because of their amazing personalities, although there were many personalities in the 25 people who attended. Uh, they taught me to believe in and work towards the health of this place that we call church. And not because uh, of their powerful or persuasive speech or influential lives. They lived simple lives and they had humble gifts but because of one particular element that was just evident and plentiful among them, a particular form of all in, uh, and all the other people who have been influential in my life, that my belief in local church and, and the ability of that to do something powerful in people's lives, every one of those people have always reminded me of this formative time and the people and what they did in this form of all in. And I believe that, that this attribute, this quality, this virtue is the most important thing for us uh, to have and to move in, uh, in this church and in any church and in the world. Can you guess what it is? You read the bulletin, you're going to know what it is, right? Anyone? Generosity. And you think, you know, generosity, that seems like awfully, you know, is that it? Such a build-up. Ooh. Um, doesn't sound all that earth-shattering or world-changing, but I believe it's at the core and it's essential and without it we will, f we will fail. And God will raise up others and we will rightfully pass into history. So we're going to read 2 Corinthians. This is uh, the New Testament. If you kind of get right of center, go through the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and keep going. And you're going to take a trip through Acts, which we are going to start in a few weeks. We're going to go through a season in the book of Acts, and then we're going to take a break for Advent and Christmas, then we're going to go back to Acts again, then we're going to take a season of Lent and Easter, and then Acts again, and then the summer series is going to, I'm kidding, just keep going like for five years. And then in 2021, we're going to take a, well, by then, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll probably, you know, have, have evolved beyond Bible, so we'll probably be looking at the phone book or something. So, yeah, it's uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're going to look through verses 6 to 15, and it will be on the screen also if you don't have a Bible, and we are getting Bibles soon, so we'll be able to have those for you. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of, their surpassing, of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So I'm gonna try and keep this fairly simple, which is difficult for me. I like to complicate things sometimes. Ask my family. I'm gonna ask about what and why and how, right? Is that simple? What, why, how? So we're gonna start with the what, the what of generosity. So the passage that, that I read is actually about a particular event. Paul had founded churches in the Gentile world and back in Jerusalem where the Christian, Jewish Christians were there, they were having a lot of trouble. There was some persecution and there'd been a famine and there'd been lots of problems. And so Paul was saying, we need to raise a collection to take back to these people. In many ways, you are the recipients of their work, their trouble, their service, and, and you should bring a collection back to Jerusalem. So he's in the process of arranging this. So really, uh, what is generosity? Well, just basically, you could say that generosity is the free, free giving of resources to those in need. A very simple definition. But what Paul says here is far deeper than just that simple definition would, would show us. Really, it's the heart of our faith. He, he's getting to something that is so crucial beyond just merely the simple fact of a collection to help those in need. He's talking about discipleship. He's talking about being all in. He's talking about what it means to follow Jesus. And he makes it very clear. You could almost just read this passage and not even preach it and say, wow, that's difficult. But it's, I can't really deny what he's saying here. And what it is really is that generosity is a way of life for God's people. That is the way of life for God's people. It's how we should behave in life. Generosity should be in our second nature, first nature even. Generosity. Paul's saying this is so important, people, beyond just this one incident of collection for these needy people who you should care about. This is for all times, all seasons, and there's reasons why this is so important. The why of generosity. Number one of 12, kidding, I wouldn't do that to you. I learned that lesson, my first ever sermon, 1999, had about 16 points. It was really good though. I, I enjoyed it anyway. So, so he does the why generosity, he quotes uh, 
uh, something from the Old Testament. Paul did this a lot because he was steeped in the, in the Old Testament, the, the Jewish scriptures. And I think, you know, as he's writing or he's uh, dictating to be written something, it just comes to mind, these connections. Like he is just, he's of that lineage. He goes all the way through his, his understanding of his people and now it's branched out into this new people that were never really seemed to be included before, not because God didn't want them to be, but because, as happens in religion, those who were on the in didn't want the outs coming in. And so Paul is, has engaged in this, but he still, even though he's speaking to people who are not from the Jewish faith, he still brings in these gems of wisdom. And this psalm that he quotes is actually a wisdom psalm. It's about how to live wisely in the world, and he quotes this. He says, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. You can read Psalm 112 later on. But really what it is about is about those who are righteous. How do they live? And it's all about the fact that they give of themselves from the riches God has invested in them. They give to the poor. Poor really could be any, anyone that lacks in their community or, or even wider than that. So what he's basically saying is that those who are righteous will be generous. It has always been in this faith, this living God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, and now the God of the church with Israel, as God moves his word into the world, it's always been the case that those who are righteous show it by their generosity. You know, I'm always interested in um, words and what they mean. You know, generosity demonstrates the reality of faith. Just, there's a point. Generosity demonstrates the reality of faith. You know, James says, you show me your, you say you have faith, show me your works. It's pretty simple. It's a pretty simple formula that if we say our lives have been changed, surely they should demonstrate change. And this is one area that's so crucial. And so powerful in showing that. Just an aside, you know, that church back in Olympia, I'm just gonna share a couple of things. You know, one time, I lost my job. Um, we're living in a trailer park by I-5 freeway. It's the poorest time probably of our, of our married life. And uh, this church, very few people, very little resources, none of them were wealthy. For some, we had this miracle of the gas tank that never emptied. <laughs> it just was always, we never filled up with gas. It was like, how come? And we were sober, like, God, miracle, right? Later on, years, years later, this guy, Randy, we just kind of put two and two together. We're like, Randy always had a gas can in his truck. So we asked him, he just had this little smile on his face, like, every Sunday, we're doing worship, we're leading worship, and I teach Sunday school, we're doing everything we could do. And he was in our car, right? <laughs> and then when I lost my job, it was coming out for Christmas time, and we were just, you know, we don't know what to do. You know, there's a funny thing, when you don't have much, you pray for what you need. Like, you know, when you have everything you need, you don't, I tell you, you don't pray. You will not pray unless you need, you know? If there's no need, well, that's who we are as humans. We're satisfied, we're like, okay, it's good. God is God, thanks. So, um, but one time we came out of church afterwards, backseat of our car was full of gifts, gift wrapped for our kids. <laughs> no one ever admitted to it. But it was just like, wow. We had more, they had more gifts that year, they were spoiled. They had more gifts that year than they ever got. Ruined our kids. I'll never forgive those people. <laughs> Next Christmas, they expected more. Like, where are you guys this year? But it, reality, it demonstrates the reality of our faith. Generosity. 
You know, so I love word origins, and I, I was just interested. So I looked up the English word generosity. Like, where does it come from? And it's from a Latin word, um, which I'll try and pronounce, generosus, which actually is, is from a French word meaning clan or race or stock. It's kind of like uh, beget, to beget, like a biblical thing, you know, this person beget, this person beget, this person. So it's kind of like, like a family thing, right? And what it really was about, it was about nobility, it comes from a word that also that means about being noble, that you're of noble birth. You are of this part of culture, society that is noble, that you're wealthy, you are born into that. You can't just decide to be that one day, but that's your, that's your DNA, that's your person. You're a noble person. And, and it really, um, became, it was known as a word. If you said someone was generous, it meant that they are someone who behaves in a manner consistent with being noble, it means because of your birth that you are noble, you will be generous. That's what, it's the ideal. People of that day were not that generous. Many nobles were not. But that was the ideal of that word, that if you were born into this kind of place and person of, of uh, elevation, nobility, you would be extremely generous to the poor and to others. And that, that meaning is kind of gone now, but isn't that interesting? That... Paul's saying those who are born of the race of God, of Christ now, will be generous. If you are his, if you are born again, this new way of being human, this new family, God's family, you will be generous. You'll be known for that as an attribute of that. And he says it clearly, verse 13, the service by which you have proved yourself, you, this generosity, proves who you are. Also, verse 13, that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Accompanies your confession. You confess. Here's the thing, it's interesting. The Jews, many of them were really not very happy about these Gentiles coming into the faith. What really Paul is saying, he's saying, this will go such a long way to show these people who are concerned about your entrance into the faith of their fathers, their forefathers, that you're gonna blow them away with this generous gift. It will prove to them that you are part of the family of God, the kingdom of God, because those who are righteous will be generous. That's what Paul's getting at. He's saying, do this. Show them that you are kin, your family, and you're of this line of generosity. Are these new believers the real deal or not? So this question, are we the real deal or not? Are we really, are the words we say worth much in terms of practical demonstration, generosity? Are we generous people? I think we are, by the way. I think we are. But all, in, in all ways, of course, we, we're gonna have to get to that in a minute, how we grow. Why a gener generosity number two of 12? I'm so sorry. Um, you know, I love that the passage begins, remember this, in the NIV. The ESV says, the point is this. The point is this. And then what does he say? He starts talking about harvest. He talks about sowing, and he talks about harvesting. And I think, often when I read that, I think about, like, I'm sowing something of mine, which is not true, it's God's. He tr entrusted it to me for the expectation that I would sow it, that I would give it away, that it would pass through my hands out into his work. And then there's a harvest coming, and it's mine. <laughs> I will experience this. This will personally be my harvest. Um, I don't really think that's what he's talking about. Even though it does include me, it's, it's 
actually something that he is in control of, that he does. We just simply sow and he, he makes the harvest. You know, there's a lot of confusion around giving. You know, there's a lot of prosperity gospel that says if you give, God is duty bound to give you back tenfold to whatever the, the amount is, right? This is not how it works. Um, but you will be blessed more than you can imagine. But there's three things, three kind of harvest in this. The harvest of your righteousness. Verse 10 says there'll be a harvest of your righteousness, okay? You wanna grow, in righteousness, there's no better word for it, righteousness, is like God is righteous. You want to grow in, in being that place of rightness, righteousness, then you will, then you will give, right? And, and he says there's, there's, a, there's a consequence here. As you give away, you will grow. You want to be growing in your faith, in your relationships in the world, your own sense of personal well-being, you will give, he says, and you will reap a harvest of righteousness. Right. It will be right. It will feel right. It will look right. It will, you'll still have trouble, but it's going to be the best it can be just because you give. Simple. No, it's not simple. I don't want to give. In fact, forget this. I'm done. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Okay, the, the, the second thing is a harvest of, what is it again? Belief. A harvest of belief, okay? So he says, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And then he says, um, but also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Why would people thank God? This is, this is really a harvest of belief, that people are seeing something from those who claim to follow God God, this is a demonstrated in a practical action. Apparently, it results in, in praise to God, thanksgiving to God. There's something about the reality of God's existence that is being made manifest by this giving, by the simple act of investment and generosity. People are coming to know God. Maybe there is hope. Maybe, maybe this is right. Maybe I should go this direction. I've been so impacted. You know, there's people who are so in need. When someone comes and meets that need, it's like something fell out of heaven for them, especially those who are desperate. You know that feeling when someone's met your need? That, that sense of gratitude is kind of miraculous, especially when they have no reason to help you. Maybe they don't hardly even know you. Maybe they're your enemy. And they come and say, I'm going to meet your need in God's name. It's a harvest of belief. There's this is how our faith is spread in many ways. Practical acts of generosity. It's powerful. And it's not just God's people, because he talks about, um, yeah, the people of God, you're blessing them, a collection to the saints in Jerusalem, and they're gonna be thanking God. Yes, praise God. But he says it's wider than that, to all people. You know, it's amazing. When other people see Christians doing this kind of thing, it has this kind of amazing wider effect in the world. When I was on Orcas Island, there was a guy, Jim, and his wife, um, and they, uh, they, they had had this dream of building a home on Orcas Island, and they started this home and never managed to finish it. Financially, it just wasn't gonna happen. They had Ill, all of ill health, and they came to our church, they'd been coming to our church for years, and uh, they were known as, um, Whatever the, the brand of the cladding that you put on your, on your house before you actually get the siding on, because it had been there for so long. It just had these big you know, advertisements for whatever that stuff. What's that stuff called? Huh? Tyvek. It was called the Tyvek house. 
by the neighbors. And it was an eyesore. And these people from California, you know, they sell up, move to Orcas, beautiful Orcas Island, and they got their lovely houses. I'm kidding. Um, they got their lovely houses, but then there's this eyesore, the Tyvek house. They're lowering house prices. This is a despicable eyesore. So we decided at church that poor Jim and his wife, I haven't visited them. The place was damp. The place was just, you know, it had not been finished. It was not good. Winter is not kind to houses in Orcas Island, let alone ones that have any siding on them. So we raised money. And we raised manpower and women power. Women power. <laughs> and we went up there. And we started doing all we could to help him to get this house back to what it should be because we love these guys. And his wife's in this bed and it's damp and it was just horrible. And they couldn't physically do it. And we were like thinking we're doing it for Jim and his wife, Gail. And then we just started hearing these like rumors. It's how people even called the church. It wasn't just because. They got rid of the, the, the eyesore to some degree, but they were kind of amazed by this act. All these people were showing up at this house that had been neglected for so long, and were just busy and working and doing this thing with joy, and there's music playing, and they were just like, wow, that's amazing, you know? And it, our reputation in the community with those who were not believers, were not directly involved in the thing, but just witnessed this moment, grew powerfully because we were generous together. It took an effort of the whole church to do it. Belief. A harvest of belief. And then in verse 14 it says, like their hearts will go out to you. They will care deeply for you. So the recipients, their hearts will go out to you. They will care deeply for you. So it's a harvest of community. It's what we want, right? It's amazing how they're sharing of resources, time, abilities, and, and can, makes connection, deep connection. I still, the people who have come at the 11th hour and helped me out because God led them to are, are so special to me. And, and the ones I know that when, when God has called me to do that, there's a connection that builds community, a harvest of community. So do we want that? So how? Here, here's where the rubber meets the road, right? How? I have no idea. How do we do this? Well, the first one, it actually tells us how. How to be generous. Attitude is the first one. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know, Paul was a pretty tough guy, and he oftentimes did demand that people would do things. And, uh, but he doesn't do that here. He doesn't just say, you know, do this or else. He's, he gives a, a wider picture. There's a commentator on this that says, rather than giving people a few slogans and ending up simply trying to force them to do things they don't want to do, he seeks to turn their minds around so they see everything, God, the world, the church, themselves, in a different light. To dream and imagine of how the world would be and, and how this could be possible to see themselves differently. So they'd be free from pressure that they could do it with joy, with faith, with purpose. You know, I think this is a good test for us. There's a new test my wife and I have discovered called the smog test. We'd never done that before. No one cares about smog in Washington State. <laughs> Why do they have that? To make money, I'm kidding. But it's, it's meant to be, you know, to reduce the smog. And I've heard it was a lot worse before and it's been pretty smog-free from what I've experienced so far. And... Um, so it's, for, it's a beneficial thing. We have a little test that we can do, and, and it's this. It's a heart test. 
Think about the places that you give, whether it's your time, your money, whatever. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about it? Do you feel joy? Do you feel freedom? Do you feel a sense of lightness and, and purpose and faith? Do you, do you feel excited when you do it? Like when, you, when, you're, when you're preparing to do it, do you feel an anticipation? Or do you feel like duty, guilt? Oh, if I don't do it, no one will. I hate this. That's a good heart test. You know, it's interesting. The word that he says, don't do it reluctantly, the literal meaning of that reluctantly is out of pain. Saying, don't do it out of pain. There will be some pain, which we'll get to in a minute. We'll get there. But it shouldn't be out of pain. It should be, there should be a joy. You know, they say give till it hurts, right? Give till it hurts. That's a sign. It's going well. That's not true. You really give till it, you feel joy, you know? Give till you feel joy. Keep doing that till you get to that place, that sweet place that God wants you to be in where it's, a, it's an anticipation before you do it and there's a joy in the process. That's a harvest. Joy is the natural habitat of the generous. Science has proven that. Every religion in the world says generosity is something you should do. Every atheist would say being generous is healthy for you and a good idea. But for us, it goes deeper, for sure. The Christian tradition and generosity. Because here's the thing, the capacity can increase. This is the next, the next part, the how of generosity. By increasing degrees. It's interesting, at the beginning, he talks about different degrees. He says sparingly or abundantly. Sparingly or abundantly. And before this, earlier in uh, chapter 8, he talks about these other Christians, Gentile Christians who are also part of this collection. Here's what he says about them. He says, now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. There's, there's a, a sense of degrees, of growing degrees in giving and generosity. Now, when I was a, a younger man, a number of years ago, my wife uh, on Orcas Island taught this class called Group Power, and it used weights. There's Rana. She's going to hate me for this. We'll skip this in the second service when she's here. <laughs> but she taught three mornings a week for years, and she had a little clan of people who were just like, she was almost like a pastor. I mean, they would just kind of share their life with her, and, and it was about, you know, working out. And so I went, I started, I'm going to go. So I started going. And there was these two guys on either side of me that always had these massive weights, huge weights. And you could tell it was way beyond their ability, really. And they were like, and occasionally one would get injured. And Ronald just had tried to say, your form is really bad, you're going to hurt yourself. And they just ignored her. It's a macho thing, man. We've got to do it. And, and so I came along, and I'm just like sliding weights on. And Ronald's like, no, you're not doing that. And she gave me these tiny, tiny little weights on a bar. And I just felt like so emasculated doing this, these guys, you know. And, uh, and they've got their And, um, you know, I, I gradually built up, but never to their degree. And this is kind of like this. This is the concept of increasing in your ability to be generous. Because um, back when I was first at that church, uh, Westside Community Church, I tried to do this straight away. It didn't work. And I bounced two checks that I put in the offering plate. And the sweet, sweet lady who did the bookkeeping came quietly to me and said, Grant, these checks were returned. You know, you want to do something? 
kind of like, and I was like, oh man. Because I was like, let's give it all away, let's do it. My ability to do it was not matched by my spiritual growth, my understanding, my wisdom, my maturity. And I was trying to do this. What I should have really done is this. Okay? And just a little bit. And then you get a slightly bigger and then you get maybe one day to this. Maybe God will call you to lift, lift this thing and, and you'll do it with his power. Increasing degrees. And, th- and this is how it works with God. Like he resources you. He gives you resources. This is the next part, the how. Verses 14 and 15, the surprising, surpassing grace God has given us. Thanks to be God for his indescribable gift. This is resource. God has already given us everything. Everything is ours. We have access to all that there is as we will move into doing his work. He will resource us adequately and abundantly more than we can dream or imagine or ask or imagine. 2 Corinthians 8 says, we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is right before this passage, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that through his poverty you might become rich. We are heirs of the kingdom. He says all things are ours. The reason we don't have often is because we don't ask or asking, we are selfishly wanting to keep it for ourselves. And I know we've all met people who God gives them so much stuff and they just keep passing out the other end. Rose like, how come they just keep getting? Well, it's because they keep passing out the other end. We stop it up sometimes. But the resources are abundant. 10 or 11, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so you can be generous on every occasion. That's pretty final. This is the, the source. As we go further, just a little further, a little more way, I see this. I don't know if I can meet this. God, can you meet my need to meet this need? Because I think that's how this faith worked. I think this is how the world will be changed. That God's people there's been these people who've uh, said if every Christian in America tithed 10% of their income, we would end world hunger. I don't know logistically how we would do it, but that's kind of staggering to think about, isn't it? If we all gave a tenth of what we make, we could end world hunger, and we'd get the credit for it, but who would get the credit for it? God would get the credit for it, because we wouldn't take it. We'd say, no, we're only doing this because God's changed our lives, and he has given us everything, and we are taking it and we're giving it on to you because God loves you. Am I, ideal, am I an idealist? Or is it time for the church to wake up to the inheritance that we've been given and stop keeping it to ourselves? Amen. God doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our time or service. He's perfectly able to equip and inspire and resource other people. And if we will not do it, we will fade away and he will raise up other people to do the work. That's kind of the bottom line. Um, and I want to be very, very clear. I am not trying to raise up New Song, the franchise. I'm not trying to increase our market share. But I am saying, if you believe that to be transformed by the Holy Spirit, to, love, to follow Jesus, to love people, to do good, if you believe in the mission and the work of this church, then you will take very seriously your need to contribute to it. Otherwise, we will fail. And it will not be my fault, because I am all about, no, I'm kidding. It will be, we will collectively, collectively carry the burden of failing to meet what God is calling us into. For what reason? Because we're worried about tomorrow? Because we're worried about, well, what are we worried about? 
Do we believe in a God who is able, who is sufficient, who will meet every need? Have you seen him do that in your life? We all have stories of times when that happened. Where are the stories of today? Well, I'm convicted. You know, I feel convicted by this. And I want to be different. Can anyone today say the following statement? I don't want to see my community transformed by the love of God in action. Don't want to see that. I don't, want to, I, want, I don't want to be free from the consumeristic treadmill that traps me in this endless cycle of debt and purchasing and joy for a moment which is gone tomorrow and try and find the next thing to bring me happiness. I don't want to experience the adventure that God will take me on. If you wouldn't say those things, then the key is generosity and you will be surprised by the outcome of your generosity as we work together to serve God. So we're gonna get super practical now. Even more practical, you say? Wow. This, uh, in the bulletin, there's a card here. It says, next steps with new song. It's a very particular next step. There's two boxes, whoop. Name, email, phone. First one, I'd like more info on what it means to give. We give with joyful hearts to honor God's generosity to see lives change through the grace of Christ. Second one says, I'd like to, more info, info on what it means to serve. Whether you love to teach children, greet people, pray, and others, hang out uh, with others, hang out with high schoolers, there's so many ways to serve. There's a place for you to get involved here at New Song. I honestly have to say that there's no one who is, believes they are a committed follower of Jesus Christ that wouldn't check one of these boxes to say, I lack knowledge. I want to know more about that. And we will make it happen. We will have class, we'll have a class. We'll talk about what it means to give. What is financial stuff? We will get people who can help you. If you're not able to give because your budget's kind of messed up, which mine has been many, many times, we'll get people to help you to figure out how you can do that. Um, or, or how can you serve? You know, just, just a little more weight, you know? Some of you can carry this. Just put these on here. Just a little more. And not, not because of any other reason other than this, what God's called you to do. This is what you're here for. And I'd really say, if you say this, not interested, I would really say that maybe there's a church that would allow you to do that in a more comfortable way because you will not be comfortable here over the long term if it's your desire to never step up. Because I would say, think about what Scripture says about those who believe they're righteous, they're following God, will be shown by their actions, their behavior. Okay, and if, and if there's a problem with that, if you have a, and you should come and speak to me, let's talk about it. Or if you have some reason, you think, well, I'm, I'm just different. Let's talk about it. Let's pray together. Let's say, let's get God surprise you out of your socks with what he can do through you. Why? Well, I, I just can't do it. I'm not scared. No, no, God made you. You don't make no junk. Now I'm going to get another one of these. You know, two weeks ago, Jack Nance, vice principal of uh, San Dimas High School, came here. and Because uh, one of our things is not only talk about all in, but also to invite people from outside who are in community to come and share what they're doing and what their life is like in, in order to make that connection. And generosity makes deeper connections, right? We believe that our faith leads to action and generosity is a key way that we do that. And so we said, Jack, how can we help you to fulfill your mission in these kids' lives? Because we think it's super important. And he said, well, you can go to their, their games or their performance art things. Go and show up. And then also, you know, we're, we're kinda, we need supplies, you know. The budget's tight. Teachers need a lot of things. So we said, make a list. Tell us what they are. And here we have a bunch of stuff, which uh, a lot of you gave individually. Came to the office and brought things down, pencils and things. 
And also, people here, we put money in the plate. Just so you know, we're not supported by any independent organization. This is completely separate, you know. Anything that comes here in resources and giving, that's it. That's what we have to work with. That actually will limit the ability of us to do mission. And it will only grow if that grows. We're trusting God that that will grow. But every single one of us has a part to play. And, and so we did this. You can, we brought, then we bought a whole bunch of stuff from various places to add to it. Tomorrow, Josh, our youth pastor, and myself are going to go across the church, the church, the school, and we're going to bring all this stuff over there, and we're going to say hi and get to know people and meet people. This is the forefront of our connection, saying we're going to, we got you some things because we love you and we care about your mission, what you're doing with these kids, right? And then Josh is going to get to know them better. This is the leading edge of that, right? Because of you guys' generosity. That's how it works. This is just a picture of it, okay? This is a picture. Here's the thing, we just sow, who's in charge of the harvest? God is in charge of the harvest. I don't know what this is gonna do that some kid has a little bit of tissue to wipe the booger off their nose or a pencil to write down this new formula no one's ever discovered about math before. I don't know, but God does. And they will know that we, across the road in New Song Church, love them. We love them and we heard them and we tried to do something as small as it is to help them. That is concrete. That is a picture of what we're trying to do here. We want to see that happen. We have a mission here. And, and having said that, I would like to invite a guest that we have with us this morning, uh, Rhonda Beltran, up to the platform this morning. She is, um, works with McKinley, the school across the road. Another one of our neighbors. And we met Rhonda... Because I'd mentioned I was doing this little prayer walk thing and I'd ended up, my terminus was at McKinley. You didn't know this. And I sat down, I was just praying. I mean, look at these things here, all these places on the sides. Like, and I'd go by and i think like, well, who's in there? What, is, what's, what are they facing right now? That's, that's so difficult. I, I mean, I've had some trouble in my life, but it's nothing compared to some of these people. And I think, God, give me a burden for these people that would lead to action in my life, that I could communicate, that we would do something about it. So Rhonda called up. I didn't even know that that, what that place was. She called the office saying, we've lost some volunteers for our event that's happening. Could you guys help us? And it was only when I drove there with the GPS thing, I was like, this is the place I've been praying. And so I'm like, okay, God, you're leading. So we thought we'd invite Rhonda to come here this morning uh, to, to share a bit with us. So first of all, if you would like to just uh, explain who you are, what you do, a little bit about your organization, your community. Hi, I'm Rhonda Belcher, and I'm the Senior Vice President of Development and Marketing for McKinley. We literally are probably about 500 steps that way on the other side of um, right. San Dimas High School. Um, we serve over 600 children. These are children that have been abused, abandoned, neglected through our residential program, our foster and adoption program, uh, our non-public school, and also our mental health program. We serve children all over Southern California and all of these programs. We just opened a new location in Hesperia. And our location here, as I say, the best known secret, we're on almost 40 acres here in San Dimas. So I get phone calls from people all the time in San Dimas say, where are you located? They say, I live on Lone Hill in Cyprus. I go, well, walk out your front door and look down the street. <laughs> so I thank you for having us come out for this. I've been at McKinley 21 years. I wouldn't be there that long if I didn't believe in the mission and what we do for the children there. I do want to take a moment, though, 
and present you and your congregation as he was talking about generosity and the belief in the harvest, that is you guys, your congregation. We didn't really have a relationship here with New Song. We um, do a community event to get the community into McKinley and just provide support for them. And we're expecting about 500 people and our volunteers backed out the day before. Someone said, call New Song Church. I heard they're great at volunteering. I literally picked up the phone four o'clock before the event, talked to your wonderful office manager, I think it was. Nancy, yeah. Yeah, and she said, give me the information. I'll send the email out. In about a half hour, her email went out. I gave my cell phone, and we filled every volunteer spot from you guys. So... You not only saved me, but um, you really did provide the services that we need for the kids that were there from McKinley, from the kids in the community, from the families that were there. And we really wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been a successful event if it wasn't for all of you. So on behalf of all the kids and our organization, thank I want to thank all of you for really helping us out and making a big difference in showing that community is still there in San Dimas, so thank you. Thank you. So, Rhonda, can you tell me just a little bit about how community functions in, in, your, in McKinley and how uh, as, as helping you to do your mission of helping these kids? How does community play a part in that? Well, as I mentioned, we do community events at all of our locations to bring the community together. It's not just to bring community to McKinley, it's mm -hmm. to bring the community together. We do that at our four locations. San Dimas being our biggest location, obviously. Um, we also have 27 boys that live in our residential program. And again, these are kids that have had traumatic experiences in their life. Most of them haven't been shopping. They don't know what it is to get clothes. They don't know what it is to even give to the community. So one of the things that we do is actually have those kids go out and provide volunteer services to senior centers, to um, food banks. And so it's trying to get our ch the children that are in our care to give back to the community so that when they are older, they know what it's like mm -hmm. to give back and be part of the community. All of our executive leadership team is asked to give back to the community and volunteer. In addition to our employees right now are doing a big give back campaign awesome. to volunteer in either their churches or in other nonprofits. I personally volunteer in numerous organizations in the community, active in the local Demish Chamber of Commerce, um, local volunteer at my local church, um, which they're probably like, where is she today? What church is that? <laughs> what church is that you attend um, I go to Neighborhood Christian Fellowship in, in Covina, right. off of Arrow Highway. It's a very right. small congregation. Um, your worship band was great. By the way, my husband plays in the worship band at our church, so awesome. it was nice to hear it today. Okay, so finally, I just ask you, how can we help you, Rhonda, and your organization? As being your neighbors, how can we bless you and help you with, with the things you're trying to do, really important things with these young you, lives? You know, as I mentioned, we have 600 um, children, and I do want to say I see a few of our donors out here in the um, congregation, so thank you for that. Um, it's not always just dollar and cents. Again, that's always helpful, but you know, there's ways that people can become mentors. 
the kids in our residential program and foster program always need a mentor, and that is a mandate. So if that's something that calls to your heart, um, give me a call, and I could set you up with um, our mentorship program. Um, I was looking at that stuff um, there, which is um, wonderful for them. We do our back-to-school campaign, but during the holidays, we do Toys and Joys. A lot of the kids have never had the experience of holiday gifts. So we do a huge holiday campaign where the kids actually do wish lists for what they want. And those are given to the children in our program. Right. Um, so there's a lot of various ways and there's information out there, but I'll be here after if any of you have any questions for me. Okay, thanks Rhonda. So I'm just going to pray for, for McKinley and for Rhonda. Oh Lord, just thank you for the privilege of, of having Rhonda here with us today. Um, uh, you know uh, how you have brought her to the place that she's in and in the area of life that she is pouring her life into. And uh, I know she's doing it in your power and your strength. And, and Lord, show us how we can uh, partner uh, in this good work with these damaged lives that kids, just no fault of their own, uh, uh, victims of all kinds of trouble and uh, dysfunction that we'd love to see them uh, really rise up into the potential of who they are and not be just left by the wayside. So Lord, show us how we can come alongside. And just thank you for this time we've had this morning. Uh, with Rhonda, and uh, help us to be generous. Um, we love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Rhonda. Appreciate it. Yeah, if the worship team would like to come up, um, we're going to just have a time of response. Uh, as we say, I'm not going to tell you how to respond, but just do some business with God. Uh, the one who knows you, loves you, just knows your current situation. It's beautiful, you know. It's, it's both terrifying and wonderful to be known so perfectly and intimately. Uh, but it's by the one who loves you. So let's just spend some time in response. <laughs>